You're listening to the Piper Carter podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network. Welcome back to the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter and I am very, very, very excited about this amazing, incredible guest that we have this evening. I'm just going to get right into it. And um, I'm going to introduce Mama Jara Michelle McKinney. But uh, before I bring you in, I just wanted, before I bring you in fully as to who you are, I wanted to honor, you know, your request and to um, honor our ancestors. Yes, yes. And so I'm going to ask you to maybe do the honors of just bringing our ancestors into the space here with us. Yes, we've had a very, uh, uh, I should say, wonderful group of people who left the planet together. (laughs) And I I think that it does say something who you leave the planet with. But some of these people are that have left the planet are very close to my heart. And I just this whole day I've been thinking of them and, and talking about them. And I just. I just got to say the names of Karen Hudson Samuels. She was quite a, a new board member for us for the Detroit Sound Conservancy, but that woman was a cultural warrior, okay? She was the one who got the national, uh, got the WGPR on the national register. And just when she got the word that they had made the register, that's when she left the planet. Yeah, she left the planet like that very, the very day or the day, the very day after she got the notification that GPR is now on the National Register of Historic Sites. And so she was a wonderful, a wonderful sister. She, she was a mentor to a lot of people. She just gave, uh, got the Spirit of Detroit Award given to uh, WDET's Ed Love. He's one of their... Um, uh, wonderful uh, musician. Uh, I don't know if he's a musician, but he plays uh, Detroit. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of his show on WDT. Oh Lord, I'm having a blank. <laughs> but Karen made sure that our our black historic sites were were recognized, and and you have to honor her for that because she wanted to keep black history up in the people's face in the city. And she made the city acknowledge a lot of these places and the people. And so another person who I knew since I've been 17 years old, uh, passed and left the planet, um, Millard Porter. Uh, he was married to Ivy, Ivy Riley. <laughs> that was her, that was her soulmate. And they had just gone down to Costa Rica. And he passed while he was in Costa Rica. And I think that was yesterday or maybe the day before. So it was recently he passed too. And I remember him fondly because I was just coming out into the world from my mother's house. And he was one of my first friends in the community. And I was um, trying to be a dancer with Clifford Fears. And if everybody know Clifford Fears, if you know who he was, he was, he, he, He was not kind, okay? (laughs) But he was a master. He had that Catherine Dunham technique down. 
But uh, Millard was one of his male dancers, one of his few male dancers. And, oh, he could dance. And just the idea that he's not on the planet now is just, it's mind boggling. Anytime you went to a community celebration, Millard was there. And so all through the years, gee, I'm in my mid sixties now from 17. How many years is that? Lord have mercy. <laughs> I'm trying to kind of think of how many years actually that is. It's over 40 years I've, I've known that brother. So he's a dear friend. And then another person who kind of uh, uh, shaped my view of the world was Chick Corea. Uh, Chick Corea just passed uh, about five days ago and he got some kind of rare cancer and it just took him right out, you know, so he wasn't in pain or in suffering long, but just the idea that he's not on the planet. <laughs> I used to have a, a radio show, uh, WDET, and um, I would play a lot of Chick Corea, Stanley Clark, Chick Corea, Ertel, and his wife, Flora Purim. Oh, man. Uh, and I was a budding jazz singer myself. So I would try to uh, sing anything that he had put out, especially uh, Return to Forever. That's my that's my jam. And then, of course, there's Mary Wilson, you know, the one of the Supremes. Oh, she was just beautiful. Um, somebody had put on the uh, Facebook page one of her last uh, singles that she did. And it was, it was just beautiful. She just, she was a queen. I have to say that. And she sounded good to the day she passed. I, I mean, she has that Detroit, she's, that's a Detroit girl. And so I, I just, I don't want to honor Karen Millard Chick and Mary as people who were uh, part of my, uh, they were just part of my uh, my pillars of my life. Each of each of them, the Supremes. I can't tell you how many uh, routines me and my girlfriends, when we were teenagers, we would get together and we would make routines to the Supremes music. And she was an original Supreme, and she was she was she was the bomb. So I just want to you know give that shout out to my to my uh, to my people. And they're going to be there to greet me, I guess, when I make my transition. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, my head is like whirling that they're even off the planet, especially Karen. My goodness, we we gotten so close in the few months that she was with us at the Detroit Sound Conservancy. So I'm missing her. Hmm. I want to give much ashe. Thank you for giving those acknowledgments of life and accomplishments and just a little piece of what these amazing, incredible humans have brought to the planet. I just want to also honor and give respect to them and their lives, give yeah. some comfort to their families, bring some, yeah. some ease to those hearts. And, you know, when you mentioned Baba Millard, you know, my uncle, Baba, Ibn Pitts, you know, a world-renowned artist, Baba Millard is his best friend. Yes. And, um, you know, yes. I always see those people to give them two together yeah. <laughs> back in the day. I, I grew up with Baba Millard as like my, you know, my uncle. And, oh. uh, all the way through, you know, doing this community work and stuff, you know. 
Oh, you were blessed. <laughs> Mama Ivy, you know, and like you said, they went to Costa Rica and, you know, she said he passed on the beach in paradise. Oh, did he? Oh. In her arms. So that's just amazing. Oh, wow. That surely was. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful death. What a beautiful way to go. And then you mentioned our beloved ancestor, Clifford Fears. My mother used to dance with Clifford Fears back in the day. She was. Oh, in- what, what's your mother's name? Maggie Reeser. She's a, she's about uh, about ten years your senior, but um, she danced with Clifford, and back in the day, and um, you know that she was in his company, and so she must have been something. If she was in Clifford Fears' company, she oh, must have been a wonderful dancer. Then wonderful dancer. Wonderful. Oh yes. She has many, many, many stories of Clifford. Also, I was I wasn't in his company, but he was my teacher. So then I danced under him too. Um, um for when I was in Festival of the Arts as a young person. Oh yes, that's right. He did work do, do work in Festival of the Arts. That's yeah. true. Oh, I was in dance and he um he was our our instructor, our lead instructor and he he passed a little bit later and that was real painful for everyone. But um yeah, it was just a beautiful spirit that created um opportunities for blacks in the arts and also um, you know, held the the dance, you know, the 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 Dunham tradition and just um, high. He held that high standard. High, high standard. Yes. High standard, you know. So just, yeah, you mentioned him. So I just had to give that ashe. And, yes. and, and we have that connection. You know, I yes. didn't know that. But yeah, we have that. We share that connection. And just, um, you know, my family is very much in theater, you know, but more on the theater side, theater and dance. But you know, just very connected. So um, I'm very, very, very aware of your family history and 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 people in your family that I'm close to that are you know different generations right. that I grew up with. But um, it's just an honor for me to have you be on this show because you know you're a bridge. And then when you talk about the museum and you talk about um, Karen Samuels, you know. Uh, I only got a chance to know her briefly, mm-hmm. her husband, who he and I are in the Detroit Digital Justice Coalition together. Oh, okay. Bring her to all our events. And she had reached out to me to do some stuff with women in hip hop because she was trying to add that into the museum. And over COVID, we had exchanged several emails trying to just get that going. So she was also working to get the Detroit women in hip hop story told. And so um, I had already told her that I, that's something I'm actively working on that I definitely want to continue. But I just want to say she put a lot of energy going back and forth with me, trying to brainstorm how to get that story um, told at the museum. And so the work that she's doing at the museum, I mean, that's amazing that she um, was able to get it a historic site because for myself, I told her, I'm so happy, you know, that you're working on this because every time I pass GPR, all I could think of is growing up mm-hmm. at, in Detroit 
with a black television station, black radio station. Yes, we were like one of the few places in the country that had that. With that. That was amazing. When people would say, oh, we need this, we need that. I always thought to myself, but we always had that. For my lifetime, we always had it. Yeah. The fact that, you know, she, you know, when all of these, uh, what do you call them, mergers and conglomerates happen, they became a casualty of that. However, um, you know, her bringing that life back and, and, and bringing all those stories back and, you know, just enshrining, you know, all of those artifacts and things and getting the historic site to the building. I mean, that is huge. That is no simple feat. It and, was not. It was not a simple Ashe. feat. Ashe. Ashe. It, she has been a lot of her energy into that. Yeah. Ashe indeed. So thank you for bringing all these people here because they're all relevant to your story and the work that you're doing. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm part of them. I, I would not be possible without what these people did. Yeah. That, that's, that's just the way it is. <laughs> well, let's, let's, before we get into all of who you are and all this amazing stuff that people don't even know about, but <laughs> let's talk about your project that you're working on. Let's, let's start there. Like, tell us about, you know, because I know y'all are doing 50 million things, but tell us about this particular project that you wanted to bring forth. And um, let's get into that a little bit. Oh, my God. This place, Bluebird Inn. I can't tell you how many times I would pass by there uh, on my bike when I was a kid and want to go into that building and I, there's several uh, jazz clubs uh, that I was too young to get, to get into. And then when I finally got old enough, they no longer really were doing anything. Bluebird is one of those places for me in my life. And um, I was married to Harold McKinney, this uh, wonderful jazz musician. And he took me by there. Uh, one one summer day, we would just, I said, hey, let's let's pop in here and see what old Clarence Edens is doing. So we went in there and the place was like toe down. He was pulling stuff off out of the, the bar. He was, he had moved the bar. He was uh, trying to do something to the walls. He was really remodeling the place, trying to make it, you know, um, able for people to come in, you know, and, and make some money uh, on it again. So it's, for me, I never got a chance to experience it as the community hearth that it really was. Uh, that place, I don't know how many of the listeners have ever been to a Negro club. <laughs> That's, give, us the, give us the timeline you're talking about as well. Yeah. So, OK, now, as far as I know, the Bluebird Inn started like in the 30s, around the time of Prohibition. And the uh, um, the gentlemen who started it, these were black people. And of course, what had happened was that a lot of black people lived in Black Bottom. And then they had, uh, you know, a lot of racism. It was systemic racism all in Detroit. And blacks could only live in certain spots. Well, the old West Side, that's what they called it. A lot of people... Uh, fled Black Bottom and came over to the old West Side. But you had to be on the, the correct side of Tyreman. You had to be on the, I guess that's the South Side. You had to be on the South Side of Tyreman, where all the Black people lived. 
But, can you give us those kind of those kind of streets so people can understand where you're talking about? So Tyrement kind of is it, it runs along, along the same way Warren Avenue does, except it's a few uh, maybe a mile or so above Warren Avenue. And then if you go to the Jeffries Expressway and and right where the Jeffries, Dexter, Grand Boulevard and Tyrement all come together in this knot. <laughs> around that area. And so if you continue west onto the branch off that is Tyreman, you will see where uh, you pass like, um, I think Beachwood is the nearest street near um, Bluebird Inn. Uh, and if you keep going west, you'll hit uh, Livernoy. So it's like between Dexter and, uh, yeah, I guess that's, yeah, Dex the, 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 the expressway and Livernois is like all of that's like the old West Side area that blacks lived in and were comfortable in. And they were there uh, during a little bit during uh, the Black Bottom heyday, too. So in the 30s, when they had prohibition, that's when that club was opened and it was uh, it hosted live jazz in the 30s. And if you think back to the 30s, it was like swing music. Well, the owners in 1948, they saw the trend coming of the bebop. So that's when they switched over in the uh, late 40s to uh, bebop. And they in their little advertisement said, uh, the hippest modern jazz night spot, you know, kind of thing going. And it was the hippest. But before it became the night spot, it was actually a place where blacks went, they would put on their gloves. The, the ladies would have their little gloves on with their little purses and their hats. You know, we liked hats. And they would come in and they would have dinner. They'd bring their children. They would bring their family and they would have uh, a nice sit down Sunday dinners at this place. So it was not only uh, before it was a nightclub. It was actually a neighborhood gathering place where you went and you dressed up to the nines, honey, to go to the Bluebird. And uh, they had waiters who would, you know, have the little cloth over their arm and they would serve you very nicely. And this was one of the few spots that Blacks could actually go and have fine dining in the whole city. So Bluebird was, was quite a uh, respected uh, neighborhood with yeah neighborhood place where people would come in uh, after church and they would come in and have their nice little dinners and they had a, a I don't I don't remember them having a kitchen when I went in there with Harold but I guess back in the day they had a kitchen and so um, that place has seen a lot of different lifestyles <laughs> so in the four in the uh, late forties that's when the bebop came in. And uh, they have these stories of all these wonderful uh, jazz musicians that came in. They had a, a, the guy, the owner had uh, Phil Hill come in and they um, brought a, they They had a house band and the house band would do the modern kind of jazz. So um, uh, let's say they call it a 5021. There's a, a, a composition by Thad Jones. And I think uh, um, Tommy Flanagan had a 5021 on one of his albums. So that 5021 refers to the Bluebird Inn, and it was pretty famous in the jazz world. If you talk about Detroit, 
5021 was one of the places you talked about, just like the uh, the um, Baker's Keyboard Lounge. It was that it had that kind of renown. So Phil Hill, he was hired to assemble this house band that could play bebop. And so there was Abe Woodley. I don't know if you, 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 I don't know how many people out there know Abe Woodley, but I remember him. He had these huge eyes. He looked like a, a, one of those basset hounds. He had these huge eyes and he would play this heavenly music on his, uh, on his vibraphone. And um, I, I got a chance to see him in a, uh, like at the rap. Well, I don't know if he's at the rapper house. I think I saw him more at uh maybe Dummy George's and uh, some of the more sophisticated spots, but he was, he started out at the Bluebird and uh, they had Art Madigan on drums. I don't know. I didn't say his name right. Art Mardigian. That's how you say his name. And uh, Hill, Phil Hill played piano. So that was the first house band. And then the following year, Wardell Gray came and uh, there's Beans Richardson. I don't know how many of you all remember Beans Richardson. He was on bass and uh, they had Jack Tiant on bongos. <laughs> and so they, they, they did live albums. They recorded there. Uh, and then um, they, they had uh, Frank Foster. Um, let's see, Billy Mitchell Quintet. He became uh, the, uh, the, the, the house band, he replaced uh, uh, Phil Hill. And Elvin Jones from Pontiac, the Jones brothers, you know, Thad Jones, Elvin Jones, Hank Jones. So they played there. And finally in 1953, there's a seminal story of uh, uh, Miles Davis. He came in and there's a story about him, the, the boss saying, get out of here. You can't play up in here uh, without a tie. It shows you the tenor of the place. You had to have a tie when you was a musician playing at the Bluebird. So he said, okay, boss. So he went outside and the, the, the guy thought he was going to get his tie. So he took his shoelace out of his shoe, tied it around his neck and put a little bow on there. <laughs> Came back in, okay, got my tie. And he went right up on the bandstand and started playing. But they said that he had come here to Detroit to dry out because he they realized in New York that he was you know hooked on I think it was heroin. So he came here to kind of cool it. And uh, he did kick the habit and he was here uh, off and on for five years, I think. And then uh, that was that was in the early 50s uh, when Billy Mitchell was the house band. So in 53, they said Miles joined the band and he returned many times after that. So he was a, one of those people that you could go in and there would be Miles, the famous Miles Davis up on stage with his cool jazz playing. So this place had, had so many, uh, um, they said Charlie Parker was there. It has uh, Dorothy Ashby, the harpist. Uh, they had um, uh, Kirk Lightsey, Roy Brooks, Harold McKinney, Ray McKinney, Wendell Harrison, uh, uh, Kenny Burrell, all, all of these guys, Yusuf Latif, they are all there. And they all created music there and they all raised up other young musicians like uh, Donald Byrd. They raised him up in there and and a lot of the other, you know, uh, younger bass, uh, younger bass players and musicians and piano players. So they came through there. And finally, you know, I guess when people stopped listening to jazz so much, it stopped being our main music and uh, the Motown, a lot of the uh, uh 
musicians who were jazz musicians started to play the R&B. You know, they're trying to make money, keep that going. Well, it kind of faded out then and they started having more national acts trying to get the people to come back. But that was more expense. So they they weren't able to, you know, maintain that. So they it, it dropped off into just like a, a kind of like a dive almost in a way. And, you know, it got onto the demolition list. And then, uh, you know, I guess uh, our 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 famous leader there, Carlton Goltz, he found out that it was on the demolition uh, list. So we purchased we purchased it. The, the, the Detroit Sound Conservancy purchased it with the help of the Kresge Foundation. And that was in 2019. We got the money to do that. And with the help of uh, uh, other people, we finally uh, got them to help us get at the building. And then we were shocked when we found out that it was on the demolition list. I was on the board at this time and I was uh, still working at, I'm still working at the Charles H. Wright Museum. So I was not, uh, it was not up and present in my face. You know, I would be saying, yes, let's vote on this. I second that emotion. You know, we were talking about getting the place. So we finally got the, the building, found out it was on the demolition list. So we had to go through a whole thing, uh, getting it historic status and stuff to get it off of the list. So after we got it off the list, we were able to get it as a historic place through the city council. It's, it's, it's a historic district now in the city of Detroit. And that was in- Wow, that, congratulations on that. That's huge. Yes, that was a momentous huge. thing. <laughs> so that was in 2020, just this past year. So we had it all that all those couple of years. And and so in 2018, we were actually able to buy the building. And then 2020, we got the the historic district. And so we're, we're still working. We're going to get it just like Karen uh, Hudson Samuels got the GPR on the national register. That's our next our next uh, thing we're shooting for. And, you know, we don't have a home right now. We're actually kind of like floating in the ethers and our uh, our artifacts are there in storage. So we don't actually have a physical home yet because we were hoping to get the Bluebird Inn to be our physical home. And so this project that we're uh, working on now, uh, we have the wonderful architect, uh, Sandra, uh, Sandra Little. Uh, she works with uh, Quinn Evans, which is a major national architect firm. But uh, they have decided, uh, you know, uh, because of George, uh, um, uh, I'm going to say for Foreman, <laughs> uh, the guy that got killed. Um, that's not his name. Oh, George Floyd. Floyd. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I saw um, uh, Muhammad Ali boxing George Foreman on TV yesterday. <laughs> yes, George Floyd, with all that unrest, Quinn Evans, and a lot of a lot of corporations in the United States, they they want to, you know, uh, help the systemic racism for the BIPOC people. So they decided that they were going to empower uh, this black woman architect, uh, Sandra Little, to help us. So um, we were able to get a grant to uh, 
help start the process of getting uh, an architect to do the drawings and make the plans for the restore the restoration of the Bluebird Inn. So that's where we are now. We're we're at the brink of putting a uh, capital um, campaign together, and that building is going to take like. <laughs> $500,000 probably to get this building up to par where we can actually uh, safely put some of our collections in there. And it's not a big building. So we probably will not be able to get everything in there, but uh, we've, cer we've certainly been talking to the people in the neighborhood. We've been going to churches and to the United Block Club Council We've been going to the businesses. We've been talking to the people in the old West side. What do you want to see here from us? And so that's what we've been in these wonderful conversations. Uh, there's a Reverend, Reverend Ventra. She's been there helping us. She's on the uh, United Block Club Council. Uh, we've been talking to St. Stephen's and uh, Tabernacle and all of those old, there's a lot of churches on the old west side, let me tell you. And so we've been talking to them about their youth. Do you know that most of the young people who live in that area of town, they don't know that the title of that area was the old west side. They don't know that. They, they're almost totally disconnected to the grand history of this place. I mean, this is where Blacks found shelter and they were able to have uh, a community. This is where the judges live right next door to the teachers who live next door to the welfare mother, who live next door to the ministers, who live next door to, you, know, you see what I'm saying? It was like all kinds of people live together because we actually had a real community there. Me and Harold, we, we raised our kids right down the street from the Bluebird. Harold McKinney, he, he was raised, that's, that's where he was raised up uh, on, I, what was it, Whitewood or, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the street. Oh, Harold's gonna kill me. But uh, his family then left that area and then they went on to live on 23rd in the old Wilson Creamery. But it was still part of the old West Side. <laughs> that area has so much history. That's where uh, Charles uh, H. Wright had his doctor's offices and, and he, he came there and uh, uh, started a museum and to ed educate all the young people who were growing up in that area then. So that area has some, has, has some wonderful history. So with this capital campaign that we're gonna be mounting up, I, I, I believe uh, our board is, um, we're, we're reeling from the death of Karen, <laughs> Karen Hudson Samuels. Uh, we were supposed to uh, talk about and get a time frame for when we were going to uh, 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 put up this um, capital campaign. So I can't really speak on when our beginning date is, but that is the project to save this bluebird. The roof is gone. We got to get a roof on there and doors keep the water out. I was hoping we could do something before winter came, but you know, it, it is what it is. 
And it has not been too hard of a winter. It's been really cold, but we haven't had a lot of snow. So we have some angels <laughs> looking out for us. So that is where we're going to put our, our laser vision. We're going to get this roof. That's the first main thing that we're going to do to get that uh, building tight, tightened up. And then from there, uh, we're going to continue the capital campaign to get, you know, everything else that it needs to have inside, you know, the get the contractors to do the work. And so now that we have a wonderful black woman architect, I just love her. Uh, she's uh, she just did a, a Zoom meeting, a, a presentation on the on the architects that were here in this area, uh, like the ones that built the Charles H. Wright Museum with a wonderful dome. So she is uh, quite a prestigious uh, architect. And I think that with uh, with her at the helm and we're going to and I know she's going to get some great uh, contractors. This place is going to be beautiful. And I believe that the community will be rejuvenated. You know, to, I remember when Ari Bakery was there, I used to ride my bike down Tyreman and I would pass Ari Bakery and then I would pass the Bluebird Inn. And since the Ari Bakery, uh, it, it left, you know, it it left the uh, the neighborhood kind of um, when it left uh, a lot of the I guess the tax money, the importance of the area to the city managers, everything kind of went started sliding downhill after the Ari Bakery left and the, the Bluebird was in there trying to carry on. But uh, as you know, as you can see, it, uh, they had different owners and they were doing different kinds of, of crazy stuff out of there. <laughs> but we're going to bring it back. And the thing we like to see it, like we, we're thinking of it as a place where people can come and look at the artifacts. So it'd be kind of a small, kind of a boutique museum. You know what I mean? And it would also be a place where researchers could come in and look at the Greystone Jazz Museum collection. They could look at Club Heaven's uh, speakers. And there's a wonderful jukebox. Um, and that jukebox has been traveling around. And we had uh, the stage. The stage was re rejuvenated and it's been in Paris, France. <laughs> I mean, it's been all over the world. This, the last place it was was at the Ruther, the Ruther Library. Um, and then COVID happened. So we we uh, recently just got it back home. So it's, it's, it's really uh, it's going to be a labor of love. And I would eventually like to do some programming, especially for young people, because, I mean, we have to replace ourselves. We have to have somebody that we have to raise up another group of griots who know about the history of that place, who know about the history of that area, who know about the history of Detroit, who can become cultural warriors and make sure that our voice goes on into the the, the 21st century. And that's that's my aim to have like um, a youth griot council that will 
work out of there. I'm going to teach them how to archive what what is a record of enduring value. What does that mean? And and have them go into their homes and and rescue the history that is there that people don't even realize is part of our history and our legacy. They're going to go there and talk and and do oral histories with their elders and and get their family trees together. And and they're going to be able to go out and make sure that black people in this city know about their history, know how worldwide wonderful it is. Girl, I went down to Brazil. I I went down to Brazil in 1999. Uh, I was doing African, I was teaching African dance in Brazil, of all places. They saw me in in Detroit's uh, traveling band and they pulled me to Brazil and I was there for two months. Every time, and I mean every time, people said, oh, you're you're from Detroit? Oh, can you you sing uh, Stevie Wonder? Uh, uh, How about Aretha Franklin? Um, uh, do you know any Supremes? And I said, ooh, <laughs> they know all about Motown. And then they would talk about, um, I'm trying to think of some of the jazz people that, uh, Yusuf Latif. They, they knew Yusuf Latif in Brazil. So it's, it's really, I don't think Detroiters realize how wonderful their heritage is and the the music cultural heritage that we embody in Detroit is is worldwide worldwide and if there are aliens it would be universe wide <laughs> so, so this is an important place and and you talk about placemaking the Detroit Sound Conservancy has a wonderful opportunity to create placemaking, to, to make a place for our voices and our, our music to be heard. And it's, it's run, our board is, is basically a, a black board, but we, we're talking about all the music. I, I was raised as a black Catholic and we, they, they had uh, hoot nannies, <laughs> and we had Irish uh, clergy. So I know a lot of Irish songs, and we had and Harold uh, when he was uh, playing, he would play Polish. We had a a huge Polish uh, um, uh, uh, immigrant population here in Detroit, and there's all kinds of of people from the Arab world. And I mean, we're, we are really a melting pot of music here. All kinds of heritages are here. So the, 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 the fact that the Detroit Sound Conservancy would be in this place, this, this black place that nurtured this community and we could return it to the nurturing that it used to do. I mean, that, that is so powerful. And uh, on, in our focus groups, talking to some of the people from the churches and the, and the black clubs and the people who would be walking by, <laughs> they would uh, say, oh, yeah, I, I think that uh, you all need to have some some kind of, uh, 
you know, we got we we need some liquor up in here. <laughs> we need some music up in here. We need some. Uh, we we want to have a, a place to rehearse. Uh, we we got some kids here. We, they can they can rap. You need to have let them come up in there and rap some. And and all of all of these uh, kinds of uses again would really do Detroit well. It would it would really bring our voice back, and the people could actually appreciate that voice. That that musical heritage uh, you can't beat music as far as bringing people together. To me, I think that's one of the easiest ways to bring us as a, diver, a diverse um, immigrant population and black population and all kind of people population uh, here in Detroit, you can't beat it. So this capital campaign that we're kicking off will probably start uh, sometime this spring. And uh, we hope that we can raise, well, we know because uh, I'm, I'm sure the community is going to support us and you guys listening. I know you, you can support us when you hear about us, us doing this, this campaign, you're going to come in there and help us because this, uh, this place has got to get back, get back on, on the scene. It has got to do it. The bluebird in got to do it. And it, how can people, too much how can people support you? Well, when we we're going to uh, have a a media blitz, and so when they uh, they can uh, always go to the Detroit uh, DetroitSound.org, and they can uh, there's a, a place where you can um, you can uh, uh, join our uh, volunteer corps, and we're going to have volunteers. We're going to train people to actually uh, process the collections. We're going to train people to um, to actually go out and do uh, oral histories and things like that. We're going to have uh, the community come and tell stories. So we're going to need volunteers for that. We're going to need uh, the people to come in and and do some of the, you know, give us idea, do some focus groups with us to give us uh, things that would be important for them and their children to have in that, in that, it, that, that place. So if, when you hear that we have this, this uh, capital campaign, please come, come to DetroitSound.org and uh, put your uh, your money in there, put your ideas in there, put your heart in there, and and let's get this this Bluebird Inn historic district uh, a voice. And and they, that's how they can really support by lending their hearts and their minds and their voices to this project because this is this is Detroit's voice that's speaking actually. So and I, Tell us a bit about, you know, the, the, the Detroit Sound Conservancy. Well, this, the Sound Conservancy grew out of a sense of alarm. <laughs> like, you know, we have some wonderful repositories here in Detroit. I mean, there is the DIA, the Detroit Institute of Arts. There is the Historical uh, Society who run the Historical Museum down there on a, what is that street? It's not Farnsworth. It's uh, it's off. It's off Woodward. 
Yes, it's right off Woodward near Warren. And we have the uh, uh, Detroit Public Library has the, the, Bur the uh, Burton Historical Collection. And so we have these, these repositories here, but these repositories, you know, one, the historical society is a, kind of a city-based thing. And so is the Burton Historical Collection in the Detroit Public Library. Those are kind of city repositories. And then you have the DIA, which was a private, I think it was private, but now it's not private anymore, but it started out kind of, you know, chi-chi, you know. <laughs> so they weren't really, none of these repositories were really collecting anything from the lay black African person or um, the Polish people or the, uh, Irish community or the, you know, any of the communities that were, they were kind of um, in the stratosphere. You, you know what I mean? So there was no one who was really collecting and trying to preserve and save the actual voice of Detroit. But then we had the, uh, the Motown Museum uh, that was created by uh, Barry Gordy's sister, uh, Esther Gordy. She had, she had the vision. And she understood what was missing. But of course, her, her thing was the Motown music first. And so the, and she also, uh, bless her, she, she also responded to the jazz, musician, the jazz musician community here too, because she helped my husband, Harold, very many times uh, as far as helping him uh, play different parties and keeping him employed. <laughs> So there was all these wonderful repositories, but there's no one uh, repository that was actually dedicated to saving all of the like music. Like when a, a jazz person died, like for instance, there was this wonderful guy, Marvin uh, Huffman. He was my friend Leslie's father. He was an excellent photographer, but he did not he he he, married, he remarried this woman and she did not value his uh his photographs it was like a hobby to her but he single-handedly had uh uh recorded the history of detroit music from the 1950s till he passed in the 90s for 40 years he had 40 years of 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 beautiful photographs. He was an excellent photograph photographer. When he died, as far as I know, she threw stuff away. She cleaned out her basement. I went to that woman at his funeral and I, they got me to sing his funeral. And I said, please, um, can I uh, take the photographs off your hands and I'll put them out and I'll take them to the Charles H. Wright Museum. She said, oh, that, that mess in the basement, I, I already thought I threw that stuff out. She did not care one bit. She didn't, she didn't know. She didn't understand the value of what she had. So, you know, the, the, that's why we started the way we started. And I met Carlton because I had gone around to all those repositories that I mentioned and not to say anything bad about them, but uh, I asked them to help me uh, find find a place, somebody who would save and take Harold's collection and save it because it was had been underwater, it was molded, it needed to be 
uh, baked and, and the mold cleaned off and all this stuff to preserve it. These were his studio where he made his records from these things. And everybody looked at me like, uh, and who and who are you? Uh, who is that you're talking about? They they did not know anything about Harold. Um, well, maybe the DIA did because he did some concerts there, but they did not have the money. It takes a lot of money to 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 restore and preserve uh, uh, audio and video and records and stuff like that. It takes money. And I didn't have any money. When you donate something to an archives or a, a place like that, you should say, okay, here's some money to help you process this collection. And I wasn't talking about no money. I was poor as a church mouse. So they had, they, they, they kind of, you know, stiff armed me. So I was in despair and I told Carl, uh, Carlton about it. He was a young man. He came to visit the archives and I was a new, I was an archives assistant at that time. And he, he learned my story and he was saying, wow, you know, that's happening all over the city, you know, and Ken Cox had just passed and uh, Barbara Cox, you know, she has a lot of his stuff in the, her basement, uh, original uh, music that he wrote. He, she has the, the sheets, the, the scores, and so um, he was talking about uh, trying to get her to uh, donate to to uh, an, a repository, and I don't she was she wasn't ready at that time. So we were discussing, oh my God, what what, what, what we're going to lose this whole generation of the spiritual jazz movement that happened in Detroit. The only person who seemed to have any uh, sense of the historic historicity of it was Wendell Harrison. And he had his rebirth organization and they had started the tribe records label and all that. So uh, we said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know what to do. He said, we, we need to start. We need to organize. We need to advocate. And I said, yeah, we need to wake up these repositories and make them write grants and whatever it takes to save this music. He says, yeah, we should do that. So we did it. <laughs> we founded the Detroit Sound Conservancy based out of a sense of, of fear that we were going to lose a lot of the voices, uh, a lot of the lives, a lot of the legacy of this wonderful Detroit music that is all over the world. So that's basically how it started. Um, and you're talking about Carlton Holtz. Yeah, Carlton Goltz. And he... Uh, he he I like his name goals. It's, it's, <laughs> he had goals. So he was in school. Uh, he was working with uh, when I met him, he was uh, going he was getting ready to, for his doctorate. And um, he was working with the uh, Azalea Hackley collection, which is another uh, collection that is hidden in the uh, Detroit Public Library. It's a, a collection for for the black musicians. And the black cultural arts, pretty pretty much theater, dance, uh, opera singers. <laughs> they didn't have too many jazz. Uh, they didn't have much jazz in there. They they kind of it was run by the um, Negro Musicians Association, and and that's a that's a national association. And uh, I think they don't call themselves that Negroes now. They it have a, I think it's just National Music Association or something like that. But in, in any event. Um, 
they weren't collecting the 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 jazz musicians. So we we said we got to get together, and that's how we. And I'm trying to remember. Golly, that was in 2012. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember who else was on the board with me. We had, uh, I think, Rebecca uh, Ben. Uh, who this Rebecca's last name? I remember her. She was so stately, and uh, we got um, the little lady from Ann Arbor with all the hair. Del- Delphine, I forgot Delphine's last name. Oh Lord. So anyway, all these wonderful people of all races got together. It was black folks and white folks. And we all got together and we formed the Detroit Sound Conservancy. So that's that was our beginning. And uh, a lot of the people who uh, uh, began it with us, uh, they've moved on. But the people we have now, like Lauren Hood and... um, well, it was Karen Hudson Samuels and Veronica Grandison. She was she's wonderful. She's an archivist that uh, specializes in uh, with the women of jazz. So we have like all kinds. We have we have a judge. We have um, uh, people who work in the city like Lauren uh, Hood. Uh, we have um, the guy who was uh, I guess he worked or was managed the uh, club heaven. You know, that that was like the disco music uh, arm of the city of the of our collection. Uh, it's just so many wonderful people who are now on the board. Um, we have writers, uh, Chris Handeside. Uh, we have um, uh, contractors like, uh, no, he's a he's a sound engineer guy. Uh, Mike Fotis. Uh, we have all kinds of Allison, her, her and her mother run the source bookstore. So, you know, we have a, a very uh, eclectic group of people, but their one passion is keeping the cultural legacy of, of Detroit music alive and preserving it and passing it on, making it accessible. That's, that's what we're you. here for. Thank you all for that. And yes. so that brings me to, you know, um, let your 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 story a little bit. Like, can you tell us about your family connection to music, or and you know, and your extended family connection to music in that sense? You know, the 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 historical connection that you have, you know, to this genre of jazz. Well, I'm telling you, <laughs> there were. Families of, of musicians. You know, Detroit used to have a wonderful um, music program. And that's when the city was, uh, well, it was pretty white then. And they had excellent, excellent professors of music. We got a lot of uh, sim- people who worked with the symphony who were teaching in the schools. And the music program was renowned nationally. Detroit's school program was nationally renowned. And that's the time when um, people like Harold McKinney, uh, who else? Um, Kenny Burrell, uh, Yusuf Latif, uh, all these people grew up when they were really teaching music. And this was serious. I mean, you could go from a uh, Detroit school uh, uh, educate music education, and you could play in a symphony orchestra. You could you could go 
to different colleges and, be, and instantly get picked up because they had such excellent music uh, education here in Detroit. So there were families of musicians that were uh, famous in Detroit. And one of the families in Detroit was the McKinney family, like the Pontiac. They had the uh, Jones family with Elvin and, and Fad Jones and, and uh, Hank Jones. And Detroit's uh, big family was the McKinney family. It was 10 kids in that family, okay? <laughs> and their father came from a family of ministers and people who were heads of colleges. So they were pretty, um, uh, they, were, they, were, they were very uh, education-oriented. So they got all their kids um, interested in everybody in that family. You either sang or you played something. So Harold's sister was a violinist, Myrna. I think she was uh, uh, the violinist. Harold played violin too. And Ray, he was cello. And they had, uh, Clarence was the best piano. He was a better piano player technically than Harold was. So all the brothers and sisters, they all played something. The baby even played something. That Carol, Carol uh, McKinney, she's uh, Carol Robinson now. Uh, she was a saxophone and she sang too. She had a, a band called Amalgamated Funk Company. So this, this group, this family, my goodness, every person in it was so talented. Claire, she had the blessed hearts over at Tabernacle and they toured all over with that, uh, that choir. That choral group is all women. And uh, Eileen uh, Orr, Alina Moore now, Mora, uh, was straight ahead. She was their pianist. She was the pianist for the Blessed Hearts. So, I mean, they really uh, personified a musical family here in Detroit. And they went on to uh, stay in Detroit when uh, so many other musicians went to the coasts. They went to the East Coast or the West Coast to record and to be in that music scene. Well, Harold stayed here in Detroit and he concentrated on educating, trying to pass on that music, musical education that he had. Uh, he, he tried to pass it on and he would tour the Detroit public schools and bring them programs like every quarter uh, with his Discovering Jazz program. And he played at the repositories, he played at the DIA and all these other places. And he uh, single-handedly opened up the grant uh, community to uh, actually consider black uh, musicians for grants because we weren't getting any grants even though we pay our taxes and those taxes support these uh, foundations like the Michigan Council for the Arts. So um, they, they recognized that Harold was a master uh, composer and musician. He was uh, writing sonatas and all this kind of stuff. So they said, oh, well, he would know uh, who uh, would be a quality musician we could give this money to. Because the, it was then in the 70s that they were starting to become aware that they needed more diversity. So Harold helped uh, hook up a lot of people to the grant, uh, the granting foundations here in Detroit, in this area in Michigan. It, that was pretty much a region wide, the Midwest. So it was uh, a wonderful thing that this family did. Uh, Ray McKinney, he was a poet, and uh, I'm so sorry that he never uh, wrote his poetry down and published. He never published as a poet, but he was wonderful. 
he wrote uh, some um, wine-drenched love purpled their vision. Uh, uh, that's one of the lines I remember from him. But he would just, him and Ali Muhammad, uh, Ben Ali's father, I mean, there are so many, there was such a richness in this family and, and their friends. We'd have uh, all these famous people coming. Dizzy Gillespie came and he, him and Harold snuck in and had a, a rib dinner uh, when Harold was on a macrobiotic diet because he, he had, had cancer and a heart attack and he wasn't supposed to be eating no pork. And he was sitting up on the porch eating ribs with Dizzy Gillespie. So, <laughs> you know, this family, um, I, I went to see Miles Davis the last time he was here in Detroit. He came here with Cecily Tyson and uh, Harold was hollering, Miles, Miles. And Miles uh, hobbled over to the fence and stuck his hand through there and was kissing Harold's hand. And I said, oh, my goodness, this man knew everybody. And it's just that he had played and he was um, Aretha Franklin's piano player in the 60s. So he would uh, tour with Aretha, and that was her guy. And when I married Harold later in his life, he married me, we would go to Aretha Franklin's birthday parties that she would give, and he would play for her. So he kind of kept the... Uh, he kept the Negro club feel and showed it to the world. Like, I don't know how many people went to Bomax and they had Lottie the body. She was the hostess and she would be doing her thing. So Harold would go there and he would be the main person to open up new clubs, or he would be the, the person that would get the musicians monies for their uh, advocacy organizations. Like Roy Brooks had music musicians united to save indigenous culture Harold was the one that helped him uh, form that group and get that group together. So Harold, Harold and his his brother, uh, Ray McKinney, they actually helped the spoken word and the jazz and the poetry uh, community come together. And uh, a lot of the churches like um, Reverend Dan Aldrich had the piano summit over at the Mayflower Church. Uh, Harold opened up that uh, that piano summit. And he brought his friends in, you know, come over here, come and come, come from New York. You're going to come over here and play in this, in this, in this summit. So a lot of the um, cultural opportunities that we had, such as the ethnic festivals, that's what they used to call them. Harold was one of the people who helped uh, start the ethnic festivals. We would not have had the jazz, Detroit Jazz Festival or the African-American festival that the museum has. All of these festivals were started by people like Harold McKinney, who were trying to uh, bring opportunity to Detroit musicians. And he would still be playing the bar mitzvahs. <laughs> I mean, so he was quite a, um, uh, uh, the, he was the most famous person in the McKinney family. But then we also had uh, Ray McKinney and then there was Keani Zawadi who changed his name from Bernard McKinney. And he moved, he was a part of the people that moved to New York. He moved there with Kenny Burrell and um, La uh, Yusuf Latif and Tommy Flanagan. Tommy Flanagan, all those guys, they would all play together as teenagers. Um, when Harold got his head opened up by hearing Charlie Parker on the jukebox in some uh, uh, place, he went and, and hung out with Tom, Tommy Flanagan and all the other young cats that were trying to play that stuff. So it, it, that McKinney family, they actually held the 
held the high bar, the standard of jazz music, jazz education, jazz advocacy, because uh, Harold, I think, was, uh, as far as I know, was uh, the person who created the first workshops, the first jazz workshops. He, he, he taught them how to do it. He taught uh, Marcus Belgrave how to do it. And Marcus Belgrave wouldn't even have been in Detroit, but for Harold. There's a funny story about how um, Harold was on the outs with his wife. So they had separate bedrooms. Uh, and I don't know if Galen knows this story. Sorry, Galen, that's Harold's daughter. But um, Marcus uh, was with um, Ray Charles. He was in Ray Charles' band. And when Ray Charles moved on, he was on tour. Marcus decided to stay here in Detroit. He really enjoyed the musicians, the lifestyle. He loved Detroit's musical heritage. He said, oh man, this, this is the place to be. So Harold said, okay, yeah, man. Yeah, come and stay here. He said, well, I ain't got, I, you know, I don't have that much money. You know, I, I can't really, oh yeah, 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 you can. You come, come and stay with me. So Harold's on the house with his wife. So what they would do was put a ladder up to Harold's second floor bedroom and Marcus would wait till the house kind of calm, went calm down for the night and he would climb that ladder and go through the window. And he lived in Harold's house with Harold for about six months. And Gwen went to her grave. She never knew this. She never knew this story. <laughs> but Harold sponsored Marcus Belgrave for the first six months of him living here in Detroit. And so wow. that's one of those stories. But Harold was a wise person. I mean, he, he could he under he studied politics. He studied. He knew the politicians. Uh, he was great friends with William Milliken. I mean, he knew the governor. I mean, he 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 was a great advocate for jazz and for any mu any music here in Detroit. Um, he had a beautiful voice and he helped the choirs around here. He wrote music for choirs. Uh, he was in the churches, you know, playing as a musician. Uh, when he passed, he was playing at the Martin Luther King Jr. Church that was over here on um, Moran, Moross or Moran, way on the east side. So, you know, a man like that, you know, with all of this, uh, the McKinney family, um, all of them, they all helped in their way to keep music grounded here and expressed as culture here in Detroit. So that, that was a great family. I married into that family and I, uh, it was, it was a great family to be in. <laughs> I loved it. Beautiful. And, and I just know the younger generations of McKinney's just from being in the arts. Oh yes. <laughs> There's some of the most McKinney's young, we have uh, Jordan and, um, uh, what's Jordan's brother? Uh, what's his other, oh my goodness. These children's names is like, 15 of these uh, kids that are like, they're teenage, they're all teenagers now. And there's so many of them, I, I'm, 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 I'm spacing on their names right now, but there's two of them down in Atlanta who are there with their father, Car uh, um, uh, Carlos McKinney. Uh, Carlos is, he actually got nominated for a Grammy they didn't make it that year, but he that Grammy nomination uh, helped him become uh, one of the great music producers uh, that and he works with uh, the rap music, hip hop uh, scene, but he also works with the R&D. 
soul, the soul singing. <laughs> and yeah, Carlos, I remember Carlos and Ali. Yes, and, and Ali's Carlos. back here in Detroit now. Yeah, he's here. But Carlos, you know, he was a shorty back in the days <laughs> when uh, when when we kind of grew up together um, yes. in festival. And then when he uh, moved to New York, I used to see him in Ali a lot. And then he later moved to Atlanta. But yeah, Carlos, he's, he has made a great name for himself in uh, commercial hip hop and, and R&B. So. And in jazz. And in jazz. He was one of the young lions here in Detroit. Um, Harold poured himself. In fact, Carlos is one of the only people I know who can play uh, some of Harold's uh, um, classical jazz, uh, his his sonata. He has the blues sonata. Uh, nobody can play that. <laughs> Harold couldn't hardly play it. Carlos studied part of that and he can do it. I, I, I'm just I just admire Carlos so much. And he is truly um, a musician's musician because he can play anything. OK, <laughs> and he makes it look easy. Yes. Real cool beans. That boy. Yeah. Oh, my God. So let's learn a bit about about you, like your story, because your story is just as fascinating. I mean, you're multi genre, multi talented and and multi experienced, you yes. know, so yes, you bring sure. a wealth uh, of richness, you know, to 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 all of this work. You know, it's so funny. Um, sometimes when you get a block of something that somebody says you can't do this, it's really it, it looks like it looks like something negative when it happens to you. But it's actually something that frees you. So Harold got out of a, a, a marriage that he wasn't too happy about. And so he did, he was going to make sure that I did not do what he thought his ex-wife had done. He didn't want me to, uh, she, she wanted him to make her a star, but in the, in that desire, she actually helped him become the man who he was by uh, making him write scripts, making him write down his discover jazz. He wouldn't have had that program to tour through the, the public schools without her. But she was uh, um, and she was the iron hand. She forced him to sit down and, and do that. And he didn't want uh, a wife, his new wife to be like that. So <laughs> he told me he was not going to work with me in any clubs. Uh, yeah, you can you, you can sing jazz with your Catholic raised self if you want to. But you ain't going to sing it with me. And uh, uh, you you can sing in the in the festivals or you can do concerts with me, but we're not doing no club circuit stuff. And I said, OK, bet I'll do my own thing. So that forced me to go into what I knew, which was folk music. I, the, the nuns taught me how to play guitar. <laughs> so uh, the jazz musician says, oh, here comes that folk singer. And the folk singer say, oh, here comes that jazz musician. So nobody would claim me. <laughs> so, so I said, well, that's OK. I'll both of y'all. I'm going to claim myself. So I was really fascinated. Uh, I was hungry for Africa. And so I eventually uh, my mother, she was one of the first people in the Catholic. Um, what do they call it? Uh, our, um, I'm trying to think of what the, the Catholics call their. uh 
it's not neighborhoods. Oh, I'm having a senior moment. But uh, diocese, she was the first one in this diocese uh, to have an African history program, uh, an African-American, a black history program in the Catholic church. And that was at St. Agnes, which is over here on 12th Street or Rosa Parks Boulevard and Grand Boulevard. It's right near the boulevard. That's where I grew up. And uh, she brought in Sundiata. Oh, you said you grew up on the boulevard in 12th? I, that that's I, I that was where my school was. Yeah, Saint Agnes. I grew up. That you too? Yeah. Street, was, was, I, I grew up on Gladstone, and we had to walk a mile to school. Where did you grow up? I grew up on Pole between Pallister and Seward. Yes, we <laughs> used to walk our little sister to the nursery school over there on Pole. Uh, yeah, I went to Northwestern. Yes, there on that's the where I was supposed to go too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my goodness, girl from my neighborhood. All right, hey. <laughs> 12th Street. Another connection. Right. So my mother brought in the first African drummer I had ever heard in my life, Sundiata Keita. He came in there with this woman. Gotta give give Ashe Baba Sundiata. Yes, yes, please. Because he's ushering in the whole African cultural education tradition. Such an ambassador. Yes. Oh, he was, he, he, he could, he could, he could charm anybody. He charmed my mother and she brought him into that white uh, school. It had all these black kids. They treated us like they were, like they were missionaries in, in Africa. That's <laughs> how I felt at that school. And I, I had some wonderful friends there, but that African, when he played that drum and Sharikiana Aina, who married the guy that did, um, uh, Jabril, um, oh God, Jabril, he did this movie that she was in, a uh, famous movie. Oh, Michelle McKinney, Lord have mercy. But anyway, Sharikiana came in and did that African dance. That was it. I was hooked for life. I'm still hooked. If my knees weren't bad, I'd be out there uh, tearing it up. So I've had to find out about him. So I thought I tried, I tried to find him once I got away from my mother and I told the, I wasn't, I was said Catholics can go to hell because <laughs> I had some really bad experiences there. They didn't believe that I was smart enough to be a writer. I wrote something and won a contest and they told me my mother wrote it, you know, stuff like that. And then I, when I was up there, they told me that they also told me, um, your 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 essay said that God was everywhere and that God talked to you. But well, we're here to tell you that God don't talk to no little black girl like you. You got to get to God through us. You got to come to the us white men. And they 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 put me in front of these three priests. And that's what they said to me. And I was 11 years old at that time. That was when I turned my back on all those nuns and those priests and said, forget y'all. And that I started trying to find about the Africa. I was hungry for Africa, for black people. So all my life has been a search for it. So I finally got some training, uh, Modibo Keita, who was Sundiata's Keita brother. He trained me in, in Shekere. I started playing Shekere and I got really good at it. And so I started teaching people how to make and play Shekere's. And so when Harold said I couldn't be a jazz musician with him, 
I went to the African consciousness community. I enrolled all my children in African consciousness schools. I taught the music of the African consciousness. I was the music teacher for uh, Aisha Shule. And I started to uh, help create a community. We had our own church, the Alexander Crummel Center. We had our, all of our three or four African consciousness schools. We had our science uh, fair that we did every year uh, that people from other cities came to. We had our own uh, um, ritual organizations. I became a ritualist. I started playing for women's uh, sacred rituals with the shekaray and my voice and the drums. Uh, the the boys, the, the men didn't want to teach us how to play drums. So we said, bet, we're going to find somebody to teach us. So we got this African via joke. He, he started a women's percussion ensemble went with Safia Sakani and, um, and uh, 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 Latifa Jope and all these women we got together in Bay. All of us, we started playing together and we, we, got, we got really good. And Roy Brooks had us was part, as part of his uh, 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 orchestra. So we started um, building our own community. It was a whole community of black consciousness that included dance, school, church, farming. Um, we were uh, fasting together. We had the Detroit Holistic Center. We were uh, doing healthy uh, eating, uh, macrobiotic diets. I cured, we, well not I cured, but uh, um, uh, what's her name? She helped me, uh, the nurse, the black nurse. Oh, I'm, I'm starting to lose names now. She taught, she trained me how to become a, a macrobiotic cook. And I made my husband's meals uh, very meticulous. And he, he, he got cured from cancer. He had prostate cancer. Was it Dr. Jewel Pukram? No, it was, um, her name was, began with an L. Oh God. Um, I cannot remember that woman's name. We played at her funeral and everybody felt her spirit plucking on their sleeve to tell her to tell them not to get off the bandstand. She was enjoying her party so much. Oh, God. Uh, somebody's going to call in and tell you who it is. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, she, she had me in her kitchen and she trained me how to how to cook so that I could save my husband's life. Uh, that saved Harold's life. And he lived for another five years after that. Wow. So so we had people in the community that every aspect of being a community. And uh, I was part of the music, uh, the reggae community, too, because I couldn't sing jazz for a living because my husband wasn't supporting me in that. So I started singing reggae with the nomads and Karen, uh, Samara, Karen Smith. Me and her started singing together as a duet and, and we uh Eventually, uh, the reggae music eventually dropped off. And then I started the Hakama, which was uh, women of wise words. That's what it means. But um, Modibo helped me uh, form that. And it was all women, just percussion and voice. And we became quite uh, celebrated in this area for a minute there. And, and we traveled through Ann Arbor and uh, uh, different places in Michigan and we sang at these sacred rituals. And let me tell you, stuff would happen at those rituals. I, I, I'm not even going to tell you how sure. sacred that was. And I'm sure. 
And and well, um, Evo, you know, is a community. I'm trying to think of the right word for him, but he's one of those people that really uh, held the community together, especially mm-hmm. the dance and the cultural arts, African cultural arts. And Modibo was uh, one of our teachers as well uh, when I was coming up, you know, in festival and everything. And um, yeah, we just have, you know, the community you're speaking of is like I'm a member of that community too. And it's just, if you're not, if you, if you, if you, it's like now the Detroit that we have, especially in this COVID is interesting about our, I'm going to use the quotes community, but just the eras that you're speaking of is when a community was at its strongest. It certainly was. I mean, we had all kinds of children dance uh, troops and we were learning how to to be uh, to lock our hair and to sew African clothes and uh, learn Swahili, sing. I know so many folk songs now from that era. And Modiba was one of the few um, men in the community who would actually teach and impart knowledge to women. Uh, I have to really give that brother his props because. Uh, he without him, the ritual, the women's ritual community would not have been what it was. So uh, we have to really give him some kudos because I loved Modipo very much. Yeah, and, he, he he really was a person who um, when I was coming up, he would be the one to like lead a lot of our, you know, uh, especially after. Clifford pass, he would be the one to kind of lead us, you know, and teach you. Oh, but don't forget, uh, and he played him and via joke, they played for Baba Ali. Yeah. Baba Ali, he was a nexus. He came from, he was from Charleston or someplace, but he came out of New York and he went across to Senegal and he studied, he, was, he lived there for 16 years and he was Catherine Dunham's lieutenant. Yeah. And and she trained him in the Catherine Dunham technique, and he combined that technique with the African dancers over there. And then he came back and gave it to Detroit. Yeah. And he, I remember he would come and give us master classes. Yes. Ali Abdullah. Classes. Yes. Yes. And he still, he still comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he did something last year, right before COVID. He was here. Uh, Lauren brought him in um, in Goma. I hope I said her name right. Nzoma. Nzoma. Yes, Nzoma. She had him come over to, at the char, uh, at the uh, Coleman A. Young Center, and it was like, oh, it was like old times. I just <laughs> that man, but he he I, he actually provided a nexus for the Black consciousness community, that the cultural community, because uh, we had also Dr. Ben Yokanan and a lot of these um, thinkers who would come in too who were brought in by Asala and they helped raise people like Jamon Jordan. And so that was one of my students back in the Shule. So it's like, we were all connected in so many different ways. So that, that, that's, that's the like community I, went to I come Nataki. out of. You know, I went to Nataki Taliba. Yes. Nataki was part of the crew too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just, it's just warming my heart, all the stuff you're talking about, you know, Oh man, and then to the, the have the children grow up and and be that conscious 
yeah of of their power and their africanity and their beauty and their their greatness i i think that the kids that we raised up were just just beautiful and you're you're one of our babies yes <laughs> you're one of my daughters yeah I, this is i, I mean just the, the work that y'all do i mean and then i've seen you let me tell you i've seen you okay i've seen you in an administrative role in a museum running programs writing creating programs i've seen you teaching i've seen you play the shaker ray i've seen you sing i've seen you act I've seen you dance. I've seen you recite. I've seen you perform and recite poetry. I've seen you do the storytelling. I've seen you um, organize. I mean, I've seen you put together, you know, uh, tools and supplies. I've seen you purchasing tools and supplies for, you know, <laughs> Africa. Let me see what else I've seen you doing. I've seen you <laughs> setting up tables and chairs. I've seen you cleaning. What else have I seen? I see you moving furniture. What else have I seen you doing? Girl. Uh, I've seen you running tech rehearsals. Um, I mean, I give sewing classes, knitting classes. I'm doing the sewing. I've seen you do the sewing classes and the knitting mm -hmm. classes. Um, did I say singing? I mean, I, I, you know, the dancing. I mean, I have seen you do so much. Oh, you haven't seen me bake and cook yet either. Oh, my goodness. But I tell you, all of that came from telling stories, actually. I think all everything that I do is based in storytelling. The spoken word and the sung, the, the spoken word being sung. It's like the the transmission when I was a little girl, I would gather all my brother and sisters into the room and I would tell them the story of my day and I would exaggerate, <laughs> learn how to engage them. That was my first audience. And it looked like uh, through all of that's the thread that runs through everything is storytelling and being a griot and, and responding to the situation and trying to pull the people together. My whole thing is come on y'all. That that's a that, natural griot then. That's but you're also spirit. aren't you actually also a trained griot or initiated, I should say, griot? The from Hakama, that that was that was my initiation. And now that I've become a crone, my daughters have have labeled me now because they decided that they were no longer going to have children. This was my last grandchild was born January 15th. And of this year? This year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Welcome we, to the world. What's, what's, what's their name? His name is, he's a, he's a junior, Edwin Otang Kusi. His father's from Ghana. Oh, and, welcome. Welcome. And he's, he was born on Friday, so they're not calling him Edwin. They're okay. calling him Kofi. Okay. <laughs> so we have a Kofi in the family. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Welcome, Kofi. Yes. Welcome to him. He is gorgeous. So I, I just look at that and, and uh, say that my daughters are now mothers and I am the matriarch of that family, except for my mother, who's my matriarch. She's 91. She'll be 91 this year. So, hey. yeah, we're trying to keep her alive. Me doing this thing tonight, I, I would have been over her house today. Um, 
looking at her because I have to look at her. I want to look at her at least once a week. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's she's a, a feisty little thing. What's her name? <laughs> and Mama Jackie. Mama Jackie, hey. Oh, yeah, lead foot Jackie. Keep that fire lit, Mama Jackie. Yes, she got some fire, I tell you. I say, man, if I could have just that much energy and fire that she has. And I saw another woman today. Um, uh, We had a celebration for um, Annette Gloria House's uh, 80th birthday today. Happy birthday, Mama Annette. Yes. And she, oh, she's so, she's just so beautiful. What a beautiful spirit. But I, they, they had a surprise for her. Her mother was on the Zoom call. Her mother is a hundred years old. And I'm looking at these grand women and I say, wow, look at these women. And I'm their daughter. (laughs) I'm coming right behind them now. And I'm saying, I I got to last so I can keep the story going and keep telling the story and keep saving the stories. And that's my whole passion in life is just, uh, we got to pass it on. And and you can do it through storytelling and you do the storytelling through museum exhibitions or, 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 or gathering oral histories or whatever you have to do so that the people coming up saying, I don't know no nothing about Africa. Because when I was coming up, if you call somebody an African, that was a fight. But that's I, we had to change that. You never had that experience, did you? Oh, no, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> oh, no. I had a 180 degree opposite experience. You know, it was, you know, we, we you know, growing up in African center school, you know, I'm a child of the 70s in 80s and so when you grow up in an african-centered school or environment you well i'll say for myself i had a reverence for africa a respect yes for the motherland um understanding of us like we didn't even learn uh what i'm gonna call like regular history like actually when i first went to public school around sixth grade it was culture shock because I just couldn't believe that these kids actually believe in Christopher Columbus. And I used to get in trouble <laughs> with the teacher with all this crazy stuff. And I told my mom, like, the kids at school, they believe in Christopher Columbus and they uh, call each other the N-word and all this other stuff. And my mom was just like, listen, you know, uh, stop telling the teacher what to do <laughs> you know this is not nataki you know they don't tolerate that in public school but um see that means yeah. that what you just said means that we were successful we were successful in creating a worldview and we had world citizens we didn't have just the neighborhood school kids we had kids that were hooked up to their actual African heritage. I, I thank you for that. You're, you're my report card. Well, thank you. Well, thank you, <laughs> you know, for creating that space and continuing. Because even with this project, I want to wrap up with bring it back to the project. You know, and it's, it's, it's important to understand, you know, these connections and your story to understand this passion, you know, understand the reason that you care so much, you know, you've done so much. 
Well, you know, got to keep on. This this is going to help me um, make it real. I don't, I, I don't know if you know what I mean, but it's it's like uh, like Ray McKinney never wrote and published any of his poems, but they were actually world class, great poetry. And I, I want to write. This is my legacy is to make sure that the story gets told and preserved and that this bluebird is just one step closer to that to that dream of mine that all of our wonderful musicians and dancers and singers and poets and spoken word artists and and rappers that they would have some place that honors them like the the dia couldn't and the walter ruther library couldn't and the uh, burton historical collection couldn't they couldn't do it but we can, the community can. And it's, it is just as valid as any other repository. And it's gonna have a home and it, it, it will have a place where kids can come and learn. And and, and say again, the um, ways in which the people, you know, like how they can either donate, like where they can donate to. Well, if they go to DetroitSound.org, uh, we have a blog. There, some of our online artifacts are there. The projects that we've, uh, uh, the history of our projects is there. Our events that are going to be announced from there. And we also have our Get Involved. Um, if you go to our, our website, you can see where it says Get Involved. There's a, a volunteer uh, page. There's to read about us page. Uh, you can do research in our collections that are online there. There's a donate today uh, tab on there and uh, you can uh, sign up for our newsletter, you know, there. So you can, our newsletter will keep you updated on what's going on. So I would really ask the listeners to check out DetroitSound.org and subscribe for our newsletter. And that way, um, when there's something that, that pops up that you might be interested in volunteering in, um, please, you know, put down on there, uh, on the, um, on the uh, volunteer list, go ahead and t- tell what your interest is. Like we have some people that are interested in uh, actually running the place. <laughs> I say, yeah, we need them too. So we need everything. So just go ahead to that website, register, become a patron, uh, keep subscribe to the newsletter, and please join the volunteer corps because we we it's going to take all of us to do it. You know, and I you're on social media too. I see your Instagram is Detroit Sound, and then um, on Facebook is Detroit Sound. Can uh, let me see how it's spelled. Conserve. Vency Conservancy. Yeah. So it's Detroit Sound Conservancy. I I was saying the wrong thing. I'm not gonna say what I was saying to get that even if people <laughs> but Detroit Sound Conservancy. Yes. And, and yeah. We have a tweet too. And that all all we're in all the Instagram, all of it. Yeah. So go on to social media too and um, you know, donate and all of that. And well, I wanna say it's been great, you know, uh just getting the connect with you and just you know hearing about this wonderful project and the progress and just being able to learn about the history and a little bit about you i'm gonna have to bring you back in um in a little bit after you know y'all have a a a bit more 
you know, just to get some follow up, you know. Oh, yes. Once I would love to do that. Going, I'd like to bring you back and then, you know, hear how great everything's going, you yes. know, and maybe, um, you know, once y'all get stuff in motion and stuff, I want to bring you back because this we want to stay on top of this project and we want everyone to continue to support this yes. project because it's one thing to get it going, but it's another thing to keep, to keep it going. So, yeah, that's going to be the, the labor of love because I'm telling you, I, I'm so excited to live in, in that kind of world where you can walk to the Bluebird Inn and really have a, an, a deep artistic experience and be hooked up to all this wonderful world of musicians and, and, and the music that they made. It's, I, I, I just can't, I can see it happening in my dreams. So I, I know it's going to be real because I can see it so well. <laughs> and then well, how can people so um, connect to you? Um, like, you know, if you want to give, um, I don't know, maybe an email or. Oh, something. sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I, I have my email is my uh, community name. Now, I didn't pick the name Jara. It was given to me because I look like somebody's auntie in Senegal. So, <laughs> so it's J-A-H-R-A, Jara Mack, M-A-C-K. So Jara Mack at Detroit Sound dot org and they will that's my email they can email me there and um they can also probably get uh get to me if they go to the facebook page or any of those places i'll i'll get it if you send a message to me on instagram or uh any of those uh, uh social media i'll get it so please Come find me. <laughs> I'll talk well, to thank you. Thank you so much. I definitely, I really appreciate you. I appreciate thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you too, Piper. Yeah. Oh, and this, we, we put in all blessings on this um, project and, you know, all the work that you're doing and just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Yes. And I, I'm just thinking, I just thank Detroit because I, my kids trying to get me go down South. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll be just like my husband here. I can't leave. <laughs> I love these people. I love this this place. And I love you too, Piper. Thank you so much for having me. It, oh, I love you too, my great. Like Thank I just you. been watching you do so much work quietly, you know, and you just work. You know what I mean? You're just a worker. So and you just shine through your work, you know, just it's just beautiful. It's just I can't even put words on it. It's just amazing and it's phenomenal. Thank you. (laughs) You're very encouraging. Yeah. So, well, this has been the Piper Carter podcast. And you know, you can definitely uh, follow us on all our social media, pc.podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And we have a Facebook group, Piper Carter Podcast. Join the conversation and join the Facebook group. And then as always, we want you to go to the website and check out all the other podcasts on DetroitIsDifferent.net where we are lovingly held by our brother, Kari Way Frazier and all the work that he's yes. doing to preserve <laughs> our stories. And yeah, I've been enjoying those podcasts. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, they're great. Just beautiful. So... We'll see everybody next week. 
tune in weekly to the Piper Carter podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe, like, and share on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher to the Piper Carter podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter. Piper Carter.